My name is Sam Mazel, and I'm a partner in the Los Angeles office of Denton's USLLP. Welcome back to the Denton's Pod Chat, dealing with healthcare issues. This iteration of the Pod Chat, we're going to talk with my good friend and and real expert in healthcare mergers and acquisitions, Jim Maloney from Kane Brothers. We this is the third and and final installment in the series. We've tried to address the current state and issues internationally in the healthcare systems around the world, particularly uh, through the auspices of my partner, Dan Fritz in Germany uh, and other speakers. And, uh, and then last episode, we talked, we're able to talk about the distressed issues and some of the recent court cases that have perhaps um, recalibrated the litigation risk for government regulators and payers in the healthcare industry, uh, perhaps a little bit more in favor of the uh, providers and and private companies that provide goods and services to the government. And today we're gonna talk about mergers and acquisitions in the space. And so um, to get into the material, I'm gonna introduce, let Jim Maloney introduce himself um, and talk about both his background and Kane Brothers in the space. So Jim, welcome. Good morning, Sam, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's really a pleasure to be on this podcast with you. Um, I am Jim Maloney. I'm a managing director in Kane Brothers San Francisco office, and I uh, work in the healthcare system, health system space. So, so my primary practice is focused on hospitals, large health systems, and, and large physician groups. But Kane Brothers generally is very active in uh, healthcare provider M&A. We were among the most active investment banks every year um, and cover sort of the whole spectrum of healthcare services uh, from medical devices to providers and sort of all the pieces in between. So it is a really fascinating time in the M&A world right now, in particular in healthcare. Um, So I'm happy to to spend the, the this time with you, Sam, to talk about what's going on. Thanks, Jim. So, Jim, I mean, we know we've talked about in the past that um, healthcare in America represents 18% of the gross domestic product. And it obviously spans everything from the traditional things that people think of as healthcare, like hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, but it also now includes uh, electronic medical records, uh, medical devices. Uh, life sciences, pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's a huge swath of the American industrial uh, output. But um, what, what it, in your space in particular, in hospitals, what, what have you seen over the last 18 months coming out of the pandemic with regard to uh, mergers and acquisitions activity? Well, I think, um, you know, there. if we go back to 2020, the COVID um, shock was profound, um, and it and it really caused everybody to spend almost all of their available, you know, leadership bandwidth on just getting through the pandemic. Right? It was a it was an unprecedented challenge that stressed every system and everybody that was in healthcare, and and just getting through 2020 to 2022 was a huge challenge. I think the post COVID challenge, as we come out of that, has really been a labor shock. So that difficult period caused a lot of people to exit um, exit the business. A lot of nurses retired, a lot of other professionals retired. So staffing costs um, 
went up pretty profoundly. That was, you know, precipitated by the dynamic around traveling nurses, which I think was a really helpful tool to move nursing professionals to where care needed to be, but it also put a real shock to the cost of healthcare. And I think it'll be another 12 to 24 months before we are worked, we work through that problem. Um, what we've what we've observed is that the repricing of labor happened very quickly, late 21 and 22. The repricing of the payers is happened much more slowly. So we're seeing kind of a return to a really difficult negotiation period with, with payers. And um, you know, how that gets resolved and how long it gets resolved will will we'll kind of determine how long it takes health systems to return to profitability. Um, so that's sort of what's happening from a operating performance perspective. From an M&A perspective, I think the effect of COVID and now this labor shock has caused almost every healthcare provider to become much more risk averse. And we're seeing organizations that five years ago never would have considered looking at doing things fundamentally differently considering that. So you're seeing really, really large combinations um, at the highest level, like the Geisinger, Kaiser, you know, creation of Ryzen. That, that, that's, a, that's a pretty large transaction that'll have long-term ramifications, similar to the um, Advocate Aurora alignment with Atrium to create Advocate Health. You know, those kind of health systems five years ago weren't considering those kind of deals. I'd say everybody is is open to a different model. Doesn't mean everybody's gonna do a transaction in the next two years, but I think we're gonna see a lot more transactions, both at the high-end successful health systems and smaller organizations that really need to be part of something bigger just to be sustainable. And, and I'm sort of curious, like, so I, let's just talk about that at the, the big size. So. Um, are they are are you seeing activity merging at that mergers at that level um, because they think they can deal better with the shocks that for for example that we've seen over the last two years if they're just bigger is is that the thought because you know it's it always makes me wonder if we're going through that period where big companies just rolled up to diversify and then spent the next decade unloading non non-consistent assets you know to get back to what they did best well so it's it's pretty interesting if you look at the um who who is really paying the bills to healthcare providers it's the payers okay and there are a small number of national payers like united healthcare and humana and aetna etc that are that have incredible scale an incredible market breadth. And if you are Advocate Aurora, to be proximate in, in, in scale to them, you need to be not in a single market. And so I think that's the pressure to be in multiple markets, right? HCA has a different ability to interact with national payers than, than most health systems. Right. If you're in a health system where, you know, the, there's a handful of really big health systems, say in Texas, like in Texas Health Resources, 
they've got incredible market presence and scale and scope to put them at a very, you know, to put them in a very assertive place in, in making sure that they get the right contracting relationship with payers. But, you know, absent that kind of a presence, you kind of need that scale that you can that you can only achieve if you're in multiple markets. So I think that's a piece of it. I think in healthcare services, there are clear economies of scale, but I think there are, all, there are also diseconomies of scale. And so finding that balance point, one of the things that's kind of interesting is you look at HCA over time, HCA, which is the biggest for-profit health system in the country, it's gotten much bigger than it is today in terms of number of hospitals. And then it's spun off a bunch of hospitals into smaller groups like Triad and LifePoint. Um, and then it's grown. So it's kind of grown, spun off hospitals, grown. And, um, you know, so it, that, that is a good indication that there is, a, there is a, either a type of hospital, either you want to be big with consistent types of hospitals, so you spin off the ones that aren't consistent with your model, or possibly being too big, you lose the ability to manage efficiently. And so I think there is, and I don't think we know what that balance point is, there is an optimal size and being, you can be bigger if you're really consistent in terms of your, your organizational and operational models and tools like your EMRs and your, how you manage your organization. When you have really different kind of organizations that you try to aggregate together, it gets really hard to manage. And so that's one of the tricks of these um, mega mergers is, is finding organizations that are culturally and operationally um, similar to each other so that you can actually realize those economies of scale. Right. Now, you also mentioned that you, you thought there'd be increased activity in uh, rural standalone rural and or standalone facilities. And we know what there's like 5,000 hospitals in America and a significant percentage fall in that bucket. Uh, and we've all read about the increasing financial pressures, particularly on rural hospitals, right? They can't get staff. They have no economies of scale. The patient mix is bad because they don't, they're not, they're not getting paid by Edna. They're getting paid by Medicaid, which which is now being cut back. So that leads to more uninsured patients or they're getting paid by Medicare, both of which Medicaid and Medicare, we know pay less than the cost of care per visit. So every patient you see, you're basically losing money on. Um, so what's the dynamic in that, that segment of the hospital market? Well, it's, it's interesting. We, we have a healthcare conference we do each year. In the last conference, the one of the keynote speakers was uh, Zeke Emanuel, who was, you know, obviously pretty influential in um, helping put the Obama care model together and is a thought leader in healthcare. His prediction uh, was that about a thousand hospitals would go out of business um, in the in the next, you know, handful of years, next five years, say. Um, I think I think the most vulnerable hospitals are those rural hospitals, and it's also the number four hospital in four hospital towns, right? Or the number five hospital in five hospital towns, the last hospital. And you and I worked on a project where we ended up closing a hospital in the center of 
of Los Angeles, you know, it was it was a hospital that had seven competitors within five miles of it or something, right? And when we closed that hospital, you know, there were no tears let. So um, everybody, you know, everybody found a job and every patient found a hospital bed. So there are hospitals that don't need to be in the U.S. today. And I think those are very vulnerable. Um, I think the rural situation is a little more complicated because it's not like you close that rural hospital and everybody just goes into the other rural hospital across the street. The next rural hospital might be 30 or 40 miles away. Um, and I think your focus on Medicare and Medicaid is right. Um, I think that those government payers are a really large portion of the revenue for those facilities. And so either we're gonna have to come up with a different kind of reimbursement model, or um, you know, the other option is that you're gonna have organizations that can provide services to help support those hospitals through telemedicine, you know, you know, having telestroke and telecardiology consults to, you know, city larger tertiary facilities that can extend their expertise through telemedicine to that those those smaller communities so they can figure out, does that patient really need to be in a hospital bed? Um, but there's, if, you know, if the hospital, if those rural hospitals close, being part of a bigger organization is probably not gonna help their financial performance, right? right. So, so there is, there's, that's really more of an operational fix as opposed to a transactional fix. So, so um, who is, who's out there looking in the market? I mean, what you've described is, you know, big hospital chains gobbling up smaller hospital chains of standalone hospitals. But is is that the universe of buyers? Is private equity in this industry, in this space? Yeah, there are there are private equity backed uh, organizations. Um, you know, there are organizations like say LifePoint is owned by a private equity firm. Um, and and so there there clearly is private equity. But I you know I think let's talk about the hospital world then let's talk about you know the services world that is typically smaller organizations where private equity is more prevalent in the hospital world i think what you're going to see is continued consolidation um, but it's going to be more, more multi-market consolidation because ftc constraints make it really hard to do in-market transactions today antitrust considerations you're talking right. about yeah. yeah so chicago los angeles um, you know, there's a couple markets that still have are pretty fragmented, um, but most big markets have consolidated so that the next transaction will be really tough. Atlanta basically has four big health systems. I don't think any of those four could combine with another one from an antitrust perspective. So the next deal in Atlanta is with those health systems become part of a, a bigger regional health system or, or one of those health systems extending to other markets. Um, and I think there will be some of that. I think there's going to be a lot of portfolio trades amongst mission-driven hospitals like the Catholic health systems. They've aggregated a big collection of hospitals, but they don't all make strategic sense. They're going to start swapping those with other mission-based organizations and with for-profit organizations, right? To kind of rationalize their portfolio into more st strategically cogent kind of markets. And then there's gonna be a lot of small hospitals that go through um, financial distress, right? 
you know, there, the, there are a lot of hospitals for which there won't be a buyer. And, um, and that'll be a difficult, you know, that'll be a difficult transition for those organizations. So that's kind of what's happening in hospitals. And I think the activity level will be high and it will be consistent for the next five years at least and probably much longer than that. I think in the, in the where venture, where, where private equity has been more active is in the, the uh, healthcare services sector that's below the hospital. They might provide, they might do surgery centers, they might, you know, ambulatory care, urgent care, they might provide services like, you know, technology and services and revenue cycle services to provider organizations. That market is very robust, right? There's a lot of activity in there. The M&A activity is down sharply from its peak in 21. You know, we basically took interest rates, the base rates from, you know, so for 50 BIPs to about five and a half percent, and that effectively doubled the cost of capital that helped to fuel a lot of that. So that's resulted in changed valuations for these companies and more, uh, you know, much higher cash flow, much higher percentage of cash flow has to fund debt, right? And so transaction volumes have slowed. There's still a ton of private equity out there. There's a lot of money that was raised in 21 and early 22 that has not been deployed. So there's a lot of dry powder. Um, and we are starting to see the activity level in that sector begin to really pick up. So I, you know, I think pricing expectations of sellers are coming into line with the new world order. And you're going to see by the end of this year, I think you're going to see, you know, buyer and seller come together in terms of valuations and a lot more transactions. Most of the stuff that's happened in the last six months, I'd say, has been more negotiated as opposed to, you know, traditional auction processes where it's it's a private equity backed portfolio company, but with a strong, compelling strategy to go, you know, do a transaction with X, Y, or Z. Also with us today is my partner, Dan Fritz from Frankfurt, Germany, who's an expert in the restructuring and working with distressed healthcare facilities in, in Germany. Um, Daniel, what are you seeing in uh, the, you know, what's the active areas of mergers or acquisitions in the German healthcare uh, sectors, the German healthcare industry, uh, and and you've heard already, we were talking about hospitals uh, as one of the areas where there's going to be some activity. How how's that look in Germany in the coming coming year? Yeah, to, to be candid, it reminds me a little bit uh, about the prohibition era era in the United States uh, when when most of these small breweries and distilleries had to close um, and only the big ones survived. So this is what we're seeing now in Germany, uh, particular and same may also be true for the rest of Europe, that all these uh, hospitals uh, where the owners are uh, not with large pockets that may be uh, in, the, in the caritative sector. So for example, religious ownerships or municipal ownerships all these hospitals, they they have really struggles to survive. Also, the latest uh, developments of the government helping the hospitals. This is not a short-term help to be inside for these uh, hospitals. It is a long-run thing. So maybe the new funding and financing system, which will go back to flat rate, 
and we'll go back to general funding of the hospitals. This will only kick in in the next two years, probably, if ever. Uh, and therefore, um, we also see, of course, hospitals that still making profits these days, hospitals who had made their homework. So some of the big ones will, will get even bigger and, and the smaller ones with the smaller pockets will just diminish and then, then we will have a much more concentration on, on, on fewer hospitals. And this is also what the policymaker, lawmakers want to see that we have a concentration of, 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 of three layers of hospitals. And so the, the market is probably following what also lawmakers wants to do a more con concentration on big hospitals for full services and, and complicated operations. And the smaller ones will either get out of the market or will be transferred into, into uh, regional uh, ambulances, more or less, but not, not remain as a fully-fledged hospital. Well, that sounds, Jim, that sounds remarkably similar to the difficulties in the U.S. with rural or standalone hospitals, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's a very similar dynamic. Um, and I, uh, when you're through, I have one question for Dan also. Go Dan. ahead, ask it, ask it. So, uh, Dan, one of the things that has been identified is that the, um, the aging of the population in Europe is ahead of what we're experiencing in the U.S. How have you seen, you know, diminished birth rates, a slower growth and decline actually of the act, active labor force, but a growing uh, population of elderly people affect healthcare delivery and, and the, you know, what is the effect of that on transactions? Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, on the one hand, um, this, this uh, is an issue uh, for, for the hospitals and then therefore for the transactions that we are lacking uh, skilled workers. Uh, because of the, the, the change in the population and it is not easy to attract nurses and doctors. This is this it has directly impact so that that you do not find the right doctor you maybe need for 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 special treatments. And then this is also leading to the need of concentrations. On the other hand, um, because of the pandemic um, uh, against all what was expected, um, the the, the top line effect, so more patients, more old and ill people, to, to be frank, this this did not uh, realize because uh, in the last months and years, uh, because of the pandemic, people were really scared to go to hospitals and a lot of, let's say, voluntary operations just did not happen because people say, yeah, maybe I can still walk with my knee. I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want to get COVID. Uh, so this this is also something that we have seen that the expectations did not hit hit the market yet. But I think sooner or later, um, the the demographic change will will, will have an impact. Thanks, Dan. Dan, are you you're talking about hospitals? One of the other areas that Jim and I discussed uh, as seeing difficulties is. Um, Skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities, is that is that segment um, seeing a lot of activity now in Germany as well? Yeah, this 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 segment is also under high duress, 
and stress. This is this is uh, also caused for the reasons I just mentioned, lack of skilled nurses, and also uh, we, we saw some 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 big players and also private equity and financial investors who who made a bet on the aging population. Um, they invested and 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 put together uh, larger groups of 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 as we say care homes, nursing facilities, and and so on. Uh, and they also had expectations uh, that um, they can fill the, the homes and the beds there uh, with the with the growing elderly population. And for the same reason I mentioned before, so the reason of of, of the pandemic, how people just were too scared to go to such places. And therefore, we saw um, this year already three of the ten biggest uh, care home providers going into insolvencies. Others are subject to to restructuring right now uh, because because of all these these effects. The point is, if if care homes are going insolvent, um, they are are not that easy to restructure as a whole group because the, the care homes who are are more locally seen on the one hand, so it's individual small entities in rural areas and city, wherever they, you need them. Uh, and larger groups are also then pretty much locally divided and have legal entities for each care home. Um, and so in this area, we do not see big, big M&A transactions in the meaning that the whole uh, who providers will be taken over. But if they go insolvent, it's more uh, that people look for local solutions that you transfer um, the ownership or sometimes even the bed and the people who are living there that you transfer them to, to a neighboring facility. So this is, this is a different thing. So whereas the hospitals so far, uh, although we have seen a large number of insolvencies, have been rescued in, in let's say, the overwhelming number of cases uh, for the nursing home and care home, it's much, much harder to, to find a going concern solution. But this is depending on their, their, their structure, of course. Of course. Well, thank you. I think um, that, that it is always striking me, Daniel, when we speak about how different the systems are, but how similar the problems the mm -hmm. two systems are facing. Uh, with that, I'm going to thank everyone for uh, having been involved in the three pod chats that we've done uh, and hope that we can do some more in the future because I think there's a lot to talk about in the industry and, and there's a lot going on. So thank you again, Jim, and thank you everyone who's listening.